How soft the breeze through the island trees as we crest the wave so blue. We give a great shout for our books are out and we want a five star review. We promised never to talk about our own books on the island of brilliance. But our books are out. So what we've done is we've made a canoe <laughs> and we've come out into the lagoon. So technically we are not on the island of brilliance. And we can offshore our, our conversation about our own books. Um, sadly, Nadia has fallen asleep through the gentle rocking of the waves. So um, I'll be answering the questions. Questions, Kate. We got a bottle full, a bo message in a bottle full, a bottle full of questions. Uh, I'm just going to uncork the bottle. And I'll take the first question from our island of brilliant listeners. <laughs> And the first question is Magic has always been catnip to storytellers. What's the big appeal? Um, yeah, well, I can tell you why I wanted to write about magic. The great privilege of my life is writing children's books. The great joy. And like about 18 months ago, it was starting to feel like a job. I just handed in Noah's Gold, which is really pleased with. And it was about to start the next book and it was really feeling like a job. And I thought, I'm kind of losing the magic. So where should I go to get the magic back? And I thought, well, I'll go to a magician. Because <laughs> we just be be obvious, be, sim be literal. You want to get the magic back, get some actual magic back. So I started having magic lessons with a guy called Robbie Danson, who I had met because uh, when my mum was really ill, through a birthday party for her and we got Robbie to come in and do some close magic and my mum was carrying all the curls of the world on her shoulders she'd been looking after my dad who had dementia she kind of knew she was getting ill herself and she was worried about what would happen to him and he did this very simple close magic and every curl she was carrying just vanished from her face and she just looked about 20 years younger I think that's what magic is about. It's about wonder. And what is wonder? Wonder is what we have all the time when we're children. And it's what we lose when we're grown up. So that's the best thing you could have possibly have in a children's story. So I set myself to learning about magic the way I'd learned about space for cosmic or saints for millions. I thought, I'll study magic. And so that's how I got into it. And there are, there are other books about magic. There's Carter Beats the Devil. There's a brilliant Brian Moore novel called The Magician's Wife about Houdan and there is uh, The Prestige Christopher Priest I think and they're all really good there, there are not many children's books about magic not many and certainly not um, ones that I've got so much technical information in because I got a bit nerdy about the magic because I kind of thought the more nerdy you are the more wonderful it is listen to Nadia snore the waves of Brilliant Bay are her lullaby. <laughs> Next question comes from the mighty Maisie Chan. Do you, who's the other person? This book, my book set in Blackpool. I was very intimidated because Maisie had already written a book set in Blackpool. So my book starts in Blackpool, but moves on. And Maisie's question is, do you know any magic tricks? Yes, I do. I, and I thought you had to do that. You have to, you have to learn them. You have to feel. Uh, what it's like and I learned a lot from learning 
do I know any magic tricks? I know how to do them. <laughs> Whether I can do them properly or not is a very, very different question. But I've come up with like a couple of foolproofed magic tricks that I can do in a signing queue. I kind of like, a lot of writers don't like signing, but if I ever get back to the mainland and sign my books, I quite like the signing queue because that's when the shy kids get a moment with you. So I've learnt a couple of tricks and they're foolproof in the fact that I kind of invented them myself and they're what a magician would call gimmicked. You know, I've done something to the coins and the pens that I'll be using so that I actually just have to do the trick. I don't, it doesn't involve any sleight of hand. I've discovered that I have no dexterity at all. I can't, I literally can do some card tricks, but I genuinely, genuinely can't shuffle the cards so they they have to be not set up card tricks they have to be i have to be ask you to shuffle so i have no dexterity but i've got a couple of coin tricks and a couple of pen tricks Maisie, thank you for asking gonna have a little look for the next question talking quietly in case i wake her up she might have the jitters if i do <laughs> so another question it's f this this question is full of lovely magic terms. I have to say, part of the appeal of uh, of magic is that it's got this lovely vocabulary. So, like for instance, why do magicians use wands? Because if you're holding a wand, people will think there's nothing else in your hand, so you can hide things in your hand if you've got a wand or the a wand equivalent. And there's a verb for that. It's called acquitting. The the wand acquits your hand. Isn't that lovely? Beautiful. There's loads of like lovely terms. And this question is full of lovely terms. Misdirections, reveals, conjuring things from nothing. Aren't you the real magician pulling the invisible strings? I mean, one of the lovely things about studying magic is that it really made me think about writing. And I did want to recover my own wonder in writing. And it did make me think about how stories work. So a magic trick only works if you've got a really good story. You know, if you make a pen apparently disappear up your nose and come out of your mouth, there's a story there, which is that somehow it's traveled through your head. So you have to have a story. Um, and the better your story is, the more the wonder is. Um, so it really did make me think about stuff like misdirection. Uh, particularly, I've often struggled with endings. And if you really look at misdirection, it's a very simple thing that you throw something into the trick very early on that people notice but don't notice too much. And that becomes the ending of your trick. And so like sometimes when you're looking for the ending to a story, you're kind of looking for new stuff. And studying magic has really, really taught me that what you should do is go back to the beginning, find something that's a little bit nice and bring it back for your ending and make that your ending. So that was a really, really good lesson. And of course the other good lesson from magic is it's, it's really simple. It's just a lot of hard work. The truth about really great magic is that great magicians just practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice, and practice things that no one else would bother with. And then when they do them in public, they look spontaneous. And surely that's true of writing that you polish and polish and polish and polish and polish a sentence till it looks like you just said it off the top of your head. And often I think writers get weary and lose faith in themselves because it's taking so long and you think, God, I'm rubbish. This is taking forever. Why would I spend a day writing a page? And the lesson from magic is that, well, because that's the cost, you know, and it like, so Houdini would have happily spent a day learning how to move a coin from one part of his hand to another. 
or many days and that's the way it is you know that that is the price so that's a really good kind of cheering uplifting lesson from magic is that the work the grind the boredom is really part of the story and if it's taking you a long time that's not because you're rubbish it's because it takes a long time let's have a look for another one that was from esther that's from esther which explains all the lovely vocabulary She's going to wake up. I'm so worried she's going to wake up. It's blinking flying fish bobbing up and down all over the place. Ooh, I don't know who this question's from. It's a great question. Is magic more or less appealing in the age of the smartphone? See, the age of the smartphone, it's turned out to be a great age for magic because loads of magicians now have brilliant, brilliant smartphone tricks where they take your phone off you and make it do amazing things, make the clock go backwards, make stuff appear out of your phone so uh, again that that's been another lesson because quite a lot of writers struggle i think with the smartphone with, with the age of communication that communication kind of undercuts a lot of uh, the way we build stories that's why stranger things is set in the 80s you know because it's pre-phone but street magicians and bar magicians have really really embraced the smartphone it's such a great question and so yes so have i and, and of course, the smartphone has a platform as well. If you want to study magic, TikTok is the place to go at the moment. If you can't actually get hold of a magician, but TikTok is full of great one-off close magic tricks. Cracking question. This is from Barry. Why Blackpool and why Vegas? Because the book is set in Blackpool. Wonder Brothers is set in Blackpool and in Vegas, which one of the kids describes as, describes Vegas as, uh, what is it? It's nothing. It's just Blackpool with the tide out. Um, so why Blackpool should be simple Blackpool is the world capital of magic so I was sort of drawn to Blackpool but also you know one of the wonderful things about magic is that that idea that you could lose something and bring it back um, so losing Blackpool Tower seemed like great <laughs> and for, I so I started off with this idea that someone would disappear Blackpool Tower and I knew that I had to bring Blackpool Tower back at the end but I had no idea how so that was kind of very seat of the pants writing. It was really exciting for me. I wrote that book to find out how it ended. And what I wasn't expecting was to go to Vegas. The story just sort of outgrew Blackpool. That's a rude thing to say about Blackpool. But this, anyway, the kids went to Vegas by mistake very early in that book. And I'd, I'd researched Blackpool thoroughly and visited Blackpool often, but I'd never been to Vegas. And I was very surprised to be in Vegas. One of the kids describes Vegas as... Uh, what is Vegas? It's nothing. It's just Blackpool with the tide out. So um, I think that was me reassuring myself that I could write about Vegas. But um, it turned out to be a great place to set a story because the time is out of joint there. You know, it's just, there's no night and day. It's just one big, long electric now. And um, there's an earthquake. We couldn't have had an earthquake in Blackpool, really. Uh, so I've got a cracking earthquake sequence. And Black Vegas is an incredibly hostile environment for children which is, of course, great for a story. So, um, yeah, so that's why. I don't really know why Vegas, but I'm glad we got there. What's the next one? This is from Phil Tight, who says, Frank, why do you write standalone books and not a series? And I'm saying that in the voice that I think my publisher would ask that question. The wonderful Macmillan children's books would ask that. Frank, for God's sake, write a series. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why obviously it's much more commercial to write a series and obviously it makes your life easy because you've got the characters again uh, it just i've just never had one 
And it's funny, like I'm writing a book at the moment and I'm thinking, I would quite like those characters in this book, but they would never be in this story. So I think it's just different starting points. My starting point's a story and other people's starting point is a character. And that's nothing. I'm very, very envious of that. I would so love to have come up with a character. I'd love to have come up with Paddington or, or William, you know, because you kind of know what they're going to do and it's kind of wonderful. But that's just not how my brain's wired. I, I start with a story and I create characters that are going to drive that story. Some of the characters in this book, I really wish I could use them again. I really, really love. I kind of love Brody, that who's this character who's not really in the magic act and kind of wants to be. So I kept thinking he was like a kind of nerdy D'Artagnan. He kind of wants to be one of the musketeers, but he's not. But he's part of the story because he owns the rabbit. He owns Queenie the rabbit, who is um, the rabbit in the magic act, but she's much too big to be in a magic act. And I stole her from... Um, I stole her from P.G. Woodhouse and Blandings. The Empress of Blandings is a pig. And uh, Lord Emsworth loves his pig. And Brody loves his uh, his rabbit, Queenie, whose real name is Queen of Tobago, and who was almost the winner in the Lancashire show Outsized Rabbits <laughs> section. <laughs> and who ends up kind of running the story. <laughs> so I, I would love to write a book about Queenie. Maybe Nadia and I could co collaborate on a book about Queenie. So here's another lovely question. This is, was Stephen, that's the mighty Stephen Lenton, the illustrator, excited about drawing the world of magic or worried about how to make so many familiar things look fresh? Well, that's what Stephen does. Stephen's a genius at making familiar things look fresh and different. Uh, not just Blackpool Tower, but also rabbits and nuns. He's done some very, very brilliant comedy nuns here. I'm so blessed to be working with Stephen. It's a proper, collaboration you know because uh, when I first start working on a book I make a little scrapbook like a kind of mood board so for this it was full of like interesting playing cards and weird contraptions that magicians build and the bizarre costumes that they wear stuff from the history of magic and I kind of made that scrapbook up and then when I start writing I don't want that anywhere near me because otherwise that's just like a book full of rabbit holes but I post it to Stephen so he kind of knows where my head's been on its travels. Um, and he's done wonders with this one. He's, I mean, literally, there are, he's done wonders with the Wonder Brothers. He does these amazing spreads. And also, I had never been to Las Vegas. But Stephen, of course, had been to Las Vegas. So lots of the Las Vegas drawings are from his happy memories. And this book was all about trying to recapture happiness and wonder and fun. So he was remembering the fun times he'd had in Vegas. And I think that's very, very evident in. There's one spread in particular that's very Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> so I didn't ask Stephen what he was doing in Las Vegas, just in case he was knocking off the, uh, the Bellagio. Oh, this is a good question. What does having two... The, the Wonder Brothers is narrated by different people. It's actually three different narrators. Or four, really, because you count the policemen as well. What does having multiple main characters give you as a storyteller? And what does it stop you doing? I, I loved the pace of it. And I, I loved writing this book because the char main characters contradict each other. And they're very, they've got very different temperaments. Nathan is the main character who's very... Um, I've been helping out recently in, in um, School for Emotionally Complicated Children. And the teachers there have got a great kind of de-escalatory vocabulary. So they say, oh, he's a bit fizzy or this one can be bouncy. So Nathan is definitely bouncy. Whereas Middy, who's the main 
driver of the story is very considered and careful and I think they're the two aspects two very different aspects and they contradict each other and I love the pace that that gives you that you know Nathan can tell the story the way he says it and she goes that absolutely did not happen that's completely totally deluded and now we're in trouble so I've got kind of one completely irresponsible narrator who's who is the reason that they end up in in trouble and in Vegas and one very reasonable one who's sort of warning the audience that this is all going to go horribly wrong and we've also got Brody telling his story which is I'm just left out and we've also got the copper who arrests them when they're found wandering around Las Vegas by themselves they're obviously picked up by the police and the police officer Jimenez is like what <laughs> so she's she's my audience reaction going you did what so it's it was really fun writing different characters it was really uh, it, it gave me lots and lots of acceleration because I could leapfrog, leapfrog over bits that's it the bottle's empty I'm going to pop it back in the sea with a little message saying don't forget to listen like and subscribe and all those things that we're not allowed to say when we're on the island <laughs> oh is she waking up mm. she is waking up she's got her own bottle <laughs>